uh, in the book of Exodus uh, as we are looking at this incredible Old Testament story of how God is rescuing his people from Egypt. God's taking the, the people of Israel and he has made his promise. He has brought this assurance through Moses and Aaron last week to the people of Israel that they are going to be delivered. And you'll remember from uh, Exodus chapter 4 last week that um, Moses and Aaron finally make their way back into Egypt. Moses returns to Egypt with Aaron. He goes before the people of Israel, and he says, God is going to rescue you. God is going to deliver us as a nation. And you remember how the end of chapter 4 ends? This is important. This is by way of introduction and intro to this morning's sermon. It's important for us to remember how chapter 4 ended. Chapter 4 ends with the people of Israel, the people of God, listening to the words of Moses and Aaron, and it says that they believed and they worshipped. If you look in verse 31, and the people believed, and the end of verse 31, and worshipped. Those words, believed and worshipped, are circled in my Bible because I want to remember the significance of verse 31 as I'm reading through Exodus chapter 4. So we end with Exodus chapter 4, but before we jump into Exodus chapter 5, let me ask you some questions. Are you ever inclined to be disappointed? Are you ever disappointed with life? Are you ever disappointed with your finances? You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand or say Amen. With your career, with your location, with your spouse or lack of spouse, with your children, please don't say amen, or with your pastor, or with your church, or just with yourself. What is disappointment? Let's stop and think. I mean, I'm asking you if you're disappointed with stuff in your life, but, but what is disappointment itself? The, a dictionary definition of disappointment is sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. So disappointment is when you feel sad or displeasure that's caused by non-fulfillment. I thought that was an interesting way for the dictionary to state it. By the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. And I would say it this way. Disappointment is when you think things are or should be a certain way and they aren't. Or you expect something to be a certain way or have a certain outcome and it doesn't. We, we know what it's like to hope for something, to anticipate something, to want something, to expect something, to think something should be a certain way, and it, it's not. It, it isn't what we hoped it would be, thought it would be, expected it to be. And friends, disappointment is something that has been experienced by every human that's ever breathed a breath of air on this planet. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. Some of you know this verse. And the reason you know this verse is because you've had to understand it for yourself. It says this. Hope deferred makes the heart what? Anybody remember? Sick. Hope deferred 
makes the heart sick. When you have a hope, when you have an expectation, when you have an assumption of how something is supposed to be, and that hope is deferred, it's delayed, it's put off, it, it isn't met, it makes you heart sick. You think you're going to get the new boat. You think you're going to get the new ra- the, the, the promotion or the raise. You think you're going to um, see uh, finance, finances increase this certain way and, or whatever the thing is. Grandkids aren't coming fast enough. Grandkids are coming too fast. Whatever, like, whatever the thing is, there's this hope of a certain thing, and it doesn't happen the way we anticipate it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And for many of us, especially those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we think that life should be easier than it is. And you don't have to nod your head for me to know that you think that. We think that. We we expected that finances and career and location and spouse and children and our pastor and our church and ourselves to be more fulfilling and better than it's delivering. I mean, none of us as the young 20-something that we were at one point in our life, right, 21, 22, and you're looking out there and you're just thinking, I know that I'm going to marry a supermodel and I'm going to have millions of dollars and people are going to want to hear my input on things because of my wisdom. Like, I'm just kind of expecting life to be this way. And if someone would have told you, and I'm sure they tried to tell us this when we were in our young 20s, and they tried to say, hey, look, you better get used to kind of average to below average. And mostly disappointment most of the time in your life is how life is going to actually be, right? Now, if they told us that, we wouldn't take any, we, and we believed it, we wouldn't actually ever have the have the, uh, the ability to do anything that would be paralyzing to us. By the way, I'm, I'm going to get to some really encouraging things here in just a minute, but let me, make it, let me make it even worse before we get there. So is your life disappointing? Is life so hard that at times you actually think, I know I'm not supposed to think this, but God, it sure doesn't seem like you're fair. You're fair to other people but you're not fair to me. I mean, I know I have to say that God is good and God is great and God is just, but I want to say that he's not, or at least that he hasn't been to me. You know that you're supposed to say that God is God and Jesus is the Savior, but you just don't feel like you are safe. He's my Savior, but I don't feel safe. As we continue our study in the book of Exodus, we're going to see just how clearly Israel represents our life. It represents us as the people of God. We're going, when we look in Exodus chapter 5, brothers and sisters, in many respects, here's what's going to happen. As we hold our Bibles open in front of us this morning, it's going to be like we're looking in a mirror. You're going to see you In Exodus chapter 5 this morning, you're like, what's in Exodus chapter 5? Okay, let's read it. Exodus chapter 5. Now remember, chapter 4, verse 31, Moses and Aaron have come. They've said, God has heard your cry, and he is going to deliver you. Check out these cool um, things that we can do. Staff turns into snake, leprous hand, water turns into blood. 
afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. If you have that old song in your head, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, right? Um, this, is, this is where that song is coming from. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, okay, have a great trip. I'll find some other slaves to do my work for me. No, who, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Pharaoh doesn't obey anyone. Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't know the Lord. And by the way, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. We're not told previously in Exodus whether or not that was part of what God actually told Moses. Like, hey, if Pharaoh doesn't let you go, I'm going to punish you. Seems like maybe Moses and Aaron are sneaking in some things that God hadn't said, but, but let's carry on. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their works? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, The people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And so the people of Israel were the ones who had been tasked with making bricks so that Pharaoh could build pyramids and palaces and buildings and all sorts of construction. But they, had been, they were able to receive the straw to make the bricks. And now Pharaoh's saying, you know what? Your problem is you're bored. You've got too much time on your hands. Your kids ever get in trouble and the problem with them is you've got, you got too much time on your hands. And Pharaoh's saying, the problem with you is you've got too much time on your hands. But the number, verse 8, but the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they're idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Verse 15, then the foremen of the people of Israel. Now, the foremen of the people of Israel would have been Israelites themselves. The foremen would have been those that had been appointed by uh, the Egyptian uh, leadership. The foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. 
That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. Then Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, excuse me, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you, Moses and Aaron, made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. I think it's interesting that he uses smell and sight. He made us stink in the sight like maybe they mixed up their metaphor there you've made a stink in the sight of pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us then moses turned to the lord and said oh lord why have you done this evil to this people why did you ever send me For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. End of verse, end of chapter five. Remember the end of chapter four? Moses and Aaron are heroes in the eyes of the Israelite people. They show up promising them the deliverance. We're gonna march in and we're gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna be delivered from the hand of Egypt, and here at the end of chapter 5, the people of Israel are looking at Moses and Aaron and saying, we had it bad before you came, we have it worse now. You've made us stink to Pharaoh. Thanks a lot. And Moses cries out to the Lord, this was the kind of thing I was afraid of from the first place. Now what are we supposed to do? Look what's happened here. As we study this chapter, brothers and sisters, we're going to find that there are, there are more things for us to gain and learn from this passage than we might even realize at first reading. Here's our main point this morning. Life will be disappointing if we forget what we're supposed to remember. Life will be disappointing if we forget what we're supposed to remember. Let's talk about that now. Three things I want us to see as we look at this passage together this morning. First of all is this, that life is hard. Secondly, uh, it's hard, number two, because we forget what God has told us about it being hard. And number three, it's hard because we forget what God has done for us to show us that he will ultimately bring us into the promised land. I'll I'll repeat those as we go. But first, let's just start with point number one here this morning. The first thing I want us to see here in chapter five is this, that life is hard. Now, you didn't need me to tell you that for you to know that to be true, but I I actually want to do something by acknowledging that together this morning. I actually want to make life less hard for you by together us acknowledging it is. It is. And I know enough of you and I know enough of your stories that we can just together go, yep, like, you know, a collective amen. What happens here in Exodus chapter 5? 
Moses shows up with a promise of deliverance, and immediately, the Bible says, that same day, Pharaoh gets ticked off and says, okay, you're going to make the same number of bricks, but we're not giving you straw anymore. They're being made to get the straw and make the bricks, and immediately life is harder, and they are what? They've just heard a word from Moses and Aaron of promised redemption, and then what happens? Instead of being delivered, life gets way harder for them, and the people of Israel are they are disappointed, big-time disappointed. They're feeling disappointed. They had just been told that God was going to deliver them. Instead of being delivered, they've, gotten it, they've got it worse. They had it hard, now they have it harder. And this is objective and real. This isn't just spiritualizing the text. Like This is literally things get worse for them, a lot worse for them. And it's, and it's obvious that this happened because Moses and Aaron showed up. They're the obvious ones to be blamed here. It's easy for Israel to look and go, hey, it's obvious the problem here. Those guys have made life worse for us. And so Israel blames Moses and Aaron, and then who does Moses blame? Who does Moses blame? He, he just straight up blames God. And I won't, again, I'm not asking for any raise of hands or anything like that, but some of us know for a fact that in our own hearts and minds, there have been times where we have done the exact same thing. And I'm not blaming you. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I am, I am in it with you where there are times where we look at the circumstances in our life and the only thing that we can come up with is, God, this is your fault. You did this. I believe in sovereignty. I believe that you're in complete control. And so this mess, I'm just telling you, I'm tempted to think that sometimes. God, this is, this is your fault. You're, you're obviously the one to blame here. I'm, I'm doing what you've called me to do. You promised to deliver me, but like things have gotten worse, and it's your fault. I think this is a normal and human thing for us to struggle like this. We come to Christ to be saved, right? We, we hear this message that, we've, that the people of Israel heard in chapter 4, that God is going to deliver them. We hear this message that Jesus is going to deliver us, and we come to Jesus for the purpose of being saved. And then we actually find that life gets more complicated, more difficult, more challenging. In many cases, after coming to Christ, life is even more difficult. Recently, we heard one of our missionaries um, give, a, give a report, one of our missionaries from a closed country or what's considered a closed country. And they were talking about people who had converted to Christianity. And then it, when they had gone home to tell their families about their conversion to Christianity, their family members, I mean, it's Mother's Day today. And, and the, the illustration was of a young man who had come to Christ and been baptized and went home. And his mother said, get out of our home. You're no longer part of our family. You're dead to us now. So here's a guy who comes to Jesus to be the one who's going to rescue him from his problems and immediately upon becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and coming to God to deliver him, immediately life gets harder for him. Does it sound familiar? What, what's a person like this to think? 
What are they to think? I, wait a second. I came to Jesus so that he would deliver me, so that he would rescue me, so that he would save me. But, but wait a second. Life just got harder. I put my faith in the Savior, and this is what I get? One of the reasons we may have the thought that life is hard is because, well, life is hard. And I talk about this fairly often. I talk about how that, you know, you might, you might be tempted to think that in a room like this, you look around and you look at everybody else and, and you're inclined to think, I'm, I'm one of the very few, maybe the only one in here that's struggling the way that I'm struggling. Like every, I can just tell everyone else kind of has their act together pretty well. And, and everybody else, you know, I'm sure they enjoy great marriages and great relationship with their children and they have great finances and they have great health and they have great relationships at work and they have great, um, you know, like they're, they're just, they're set, they're happy in the job that they're in and the community that they're in and the church that they're in. Like I can just tell that everybody else is set and I'm probably the only one, maybe the only one in here who's wrestling with whatever it is that you are wrestling with it at the moment. The, the emotional challenges, the relational challenges, the physical challenges, the psychological challenges. You might think you might think that, but brothers and sisters, you are not, not not by not by any stretch. In fact, you, it, it's the it is the common theme in this room that we are struggling to live in a world and struggling to live a life that is hard. We remember we live in a world that is broken by sin. That's why it's hard. It's hard because we live in a world where the people around us sin and where we sin. You put yourself in a padded room, but you're still stuck there with you. You're not alone. You're there with you, right? Sometimes a padded room sounds somewhat, you know, maybe for a day I would enjoy that. I'll take a long nap. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is under that, that uh, we we live in the with the brokenness that sin causes and the curse because of sin, and so we live in this world where where there are physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, relational problems, and at the end of the day, we we want to figure out a way to say that well you know life is fair but but life is not fair, life's not fair. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. And just like the children of Israel, we experiencing the heartbreaking, soul-crushing, panic-attack-inducing disappointments of life. But I hoped it would be like this. And then it's not. And then you kind of look around and, well, everybody else seems to be doing okay. Why am I not doing okay? And at Liberty Baptist Church, brothers and sisters, it's okay not to be okay. This is a safe place for sinners, and we're going to talk about why that is. The first thing I want us to understand as we look in chapter 5 is that it was hard. It was hard for the people of Israel. It was hard because of their own sin. It was hard because of Pharaoh's sin. It was hard because they were living under, in slavery in Egypt. There were a lot of reasons why it was hard. It was hard. And our lives, even though we have chapter 4 experiences where we come and we believe and we worship, but then chapter 5 comes... And it's like, well, wait a second, but chapter 4, what, what has happened here now? Well, the reason, one of the reasons that we have disappointments is because, point number two, because we forget that God has told us about it being hard. We're disappointed 
And I guess I should say this, all three of the points here this morning are kind of answering the questions, why is life disappointing? Why is life disappointing? Well, number one, because it's hard. Number two, because we forget what God has told us about it being hard. Now, I don't know that any of us would go through um, like uh, Navy SEAL training and get into day two and be like, man, this is hard. No one told me that there was going to be this much running and like the push-ups. Who, nobody told me about the push-up. Like this is hard. Nobody told me it was going to be hard, right? Like if you go into that, you've been told very, you know what to expect. You've been told this is going to be hard. Whatever the percentage, 80% of you aren't going to pass, right? Like give up now um, kind of a thing. And brothers and sisters, I think sometimes we actually find our experience in life more disappointing because we forget what God has already told us about what life is going to be like in this world now. As we continue to live in a world that's fallen and broken and cursed by sin. See, you have to remember that God had told Moses prior to chapter 5 that Pharaoh isn't going to go along. Do you remember this? If you look back in chapter 4, look in chapter 4, um, at, well, verse 1. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, not verse 1. Uh, I should have had this in my notes, and I don't. But God tells Moses, if you, if you find it, tell me the verse. God tells Moses, uh, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. I'm going to harden his heart. Oh, I promise it's there. 21 of chapter 4. Okay, chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do this before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So God, God has already told Moses, you're going to do this thing, and I am going to deliver the people of Israel, but it's going to be hard Go ask Pharaoh to let you go, but I'm telling you right now, he's going to say no. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. In fact, we often call what God has done evil, just like Moses did. End of chapter 5. Lord, why have you done? Look at verse 22. This is, this is almost chapter 5, verse 22. Like you, you would be scared to use language like this in one of your prayers to the Lord. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil? Moses is straight up saying, God, you're wrong. You did the wrong thing. You messed up. There's no one to blame, God, but you. You sent me, and Pharaoh's done nothing but harm to the people since this has happened. In fact, we're often inclined to do the same thing as we look at the circumstances in our life. But don't you know, don't you remember that the Scriptures say, in this life, you will have trouble. We live in a broken world, in a cursed world. We live with sinners, and we are sinners, and sin has consequences. And throughout the scriptures, we see examples of this, of God putting his attention and his anointing, God choosing someone, and then, and then after that, that person going through very difficult circumstances. We see it with the nation of Israel right here, right now. We're going to see it again when they, 
go through the Red Sea, when they travel in the wilderness. We're going to see God's people going through difficult uh, experiences to get to the place that he's promised them. Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah. I mean, here are three dudes who stand up alone when everyone else bows the knee to the wicked pagan world around them. They stand up alone and and Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And they say, our God is able and he will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing the knee to you. And wh- what happened to them? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. If you don't know the rest of the story, I'm not going to tell you. You have to go read it. Daniel is told not to pray. What does Daniel do? He prays and he gets thrown. I mean, there's a reason why these are some of our favorite stories from childhood. And they're real and they're true. Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions that should have devoured him and killed him immediately. And the next day, Nebuchadnezzar comes. And if you don't know the end of that story, you've got to go read that one as well. Esther goes before King Ahasuerus to save the people of Israel. Over and over and over again, we see God's people, whom God has clearly anointed and chosen and set his love and affection on, and they go through really hard sets of circumstances. But, but we've been told over and over and over again that this is going to be part of our life experience here in this fallen world. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 19, it says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous. If you're taking notes, let me just encourage you to write down some of these references and you can go back to them later. These are important. I tried to, I tried to pull out some of the, the best verses that, um, that we can use to help inform us as to what life is going to be like right now. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's the promise that Jesus is giving to his followers here in John chapter 16, verse 33? The promise he's giving is this, in the world, you will have tribulation. What is the promise that health, wealth, and prosperity preachers give to you? That if you just have enough faith, you will not have tribulation. They are preaching a false gospel. They are preaching a false religion. It is not true. It is not true. What, and you, you, their books are in every Christian bookstore. They're on the radio. They're on television. And brothers and sisters, we need to know that what they're preaching is false. It is not true. Jesus looks at his, his followers and says, you will have tribulation. John chapter 15, I'm just getting started. So if you're like, ah, that was just one verse, no. John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So listen, don't you understand that to be loved by the world is actually a scary place to be? But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on my on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Again, Jesus looking at his real disciples really in their face and saying to them, they will hate you, they will persecute you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Life is hard, and it makes it harder when we believe the lies that we hear preached by so many. Because we think, well, since I have chapter 4 experience in my life, and I've believed and I worship, and now I'm experiencing chapter 5, well, then obviously I'm doing something wrong because I hear so many voices preach and pray and say things like, if you will just have enough faith, if you'll just give this money, if you'll just believe enough, then all of your diseases will be healed and all of your finances will be taken care of and all of your relationships will be taken care of. And then you're living life thinking, actually, I'm in trouble in all of those areas. What's going on? Or I'm trying to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And even in my Christian community, like I'm getting, I'm getting pushed. I'm like, I'm wanting to do what's right. And the world is hating me. What's going on here? Friends, you need to know that there are prosperity preachers, that there are preachers on televisions and on radios every single day who are telling you lies. Health and wealth and prosperity have not been promised to you in this life. They have not been promised to you in this life. They have not been promised to you in this life. And we will live with almost constant disappointment if we think God has promised to me health and wealth and prosperity in this life. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and he's saying suffering is, is going to be part of your experience. It's going to be hard. And he's telling us it's going to be hard. And so when I go through Navy SEAL training, which I didn't and I'm not going to, but I'm not going to be surprised when it's hard. Because I've been told it's hard. And it is hard. It is hard, and I've been told it's hard. And so when I'm doing nine millionth push-up, I'm like, well, this is what I, I was told it was going to be like this. But if I was told that Navy SEAL training was going to be, you know, a massage parlor and sitting by the pool and endless buffet, right, then I'm thinking, what, what is going on? This is hard. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Brothers and sisters, we have not been promised health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. I'm going to get to this more in just a moment, but I'm going to say it right now so I can at least take a little bit of the pressure off. You have been promised health, wealth, and prosperity in eternity. Now, the obvious question for us is this. 
why does God want to make life so hard for me now? If he's in control, and I get the news in chapter 4 that he's come to deliver me, and he's come to rescue me, and he's come to save me, then why is my experience immediately chapter 5? Where, okay, I believe, I worship. Here we go, and I get hit in the face. And I'm told, not only do I have to keep working for the slave master, the slave master, but now I have to go and find the straw to make the bricks? Like, life has just gotten far worse. Why is this our experience? Friends, this is another way in which we have to remember what God has told us, even about our suffering. In God's wisdom, it is His plan to use suffering to make us more like Christ. When do you look to God the most? When you have no problems or when you have problems? James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you are choosing to share in His sufferings. You're attaching yourself to someone whom the world crucified. You're attaching yourself to someone who did not get health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. That you may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So why are we disappointed when we suffer? Well, it's because we think we're not supposed to suffer. We've believed lies instead of the clear teaching of Scripture. That life is hard. And that we will suffer in this world, in this life. And number three, why, why are we disappointed? Because we forget what God has done for us to show us that He will ultimately bring us into the promised land. I know that's kind of a long point. Is it up there, Jay? Do you have point number three? Because we forget what God has done to show us that He will ultimately bring us into the promised land. Do you remember what God had shown Moses and Aaron to remind them, to make it clear to them that He's ultimately going to bring them into the promised land? He, he literally showed them some things. He showed them Put down your staff, and it turned into a serpent. And now grab it by the tail and take it up again. Put your hand in your cloak and take it out. It's leprous. Put it back in, and it's healed again. Take water from the Nile, pour it out, now it's blood. God had given them actual, literal, visible signs of his power, his ability, his, uh, the certainty that he has control and power over everything, and his promise to bring them out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land absolutely will happen. He had given them signs. God has given us signs as well. 
chapter 5, verse 23 says this, For since the day, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And I must say that sometimes I feel this way. I feel the same way sometimes. I feel that way as a Christian personally sometimes, as a pastor I feel that way sometimes. God, why? Why are you why are you doing that? Why are you bringing that? Why are you allowing that in someone's life? I just look around in our, audit, our auditorium even this morning, right? And um, people to pray for. Um, you know, James and Janet are away this weekend. Um, James's brother Danny, Jen's and Joe's brother Danny passed away. Frank Lowen is suffering from Bell's palsy right now. Michelle has her arm in a sling. Like God, why, why, why are you? Why? Why, God, are you doing these things? Why are you bringing this kind of suffering into people's lives? As a pastor, I feel this way sometimes. God, they've come to you for salvation. They've come to you for help and deliverance. And you haven't saved them. In fact, you've made it harder on them. The problem is, brothers and sisters, that we're short-sighted. We're short-sighted and we think that our 80, 90 years on this planet is our life and we think that it is our experience and that's that's kind of it and then if i don't get it now i'll never get it god has given moses clear signs of his might and power the staff the leprosy the power over the nile they were they were ways of showing israel and egypt his power and assuring moses and aaron and the people of israel that his promises would be kept Moses and the people had already forgotten the signs that God had given them. Now, friends, there are plenty of times where we feel like Moses feels, or like the people of Israel here at the end of chapter 5. One of the reasons that they feel this way is because they had forgotten the signs that God had given them that he would bring them into the promised land. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to end on the most encouraging, joyful, positive, happy Mother's Day kind of note that we could ever possibly end on. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a sign that ultimately all will be well. And that the promise that he has made to deliver his people absolutely will happen. And though we march through our journey of life experiencing challenges and experiencing difficulties and feeling like the Egyptian oppressor is making life worse on us, I've committed my life to Christ. I've committed my way to, to the deliverer. And yet, like, life is harder now. But God has given us a sign. There's no greater sign of God's love for you than his work on the cross. There's no place that you see the supremacy of Jesus Christ better than when you stand at the foot of the cross and see Jesus Christ there for you. That's the sign. That's like the the, the serpent rod or the leprous hand or the water from the Nile. Like those signs were given to show God's preeminence over Egypt and Jesus Christ's work on the cross is the sign that's given to show his preeminence over all of the sin and the punishment that there is. The signs that Moses had were signs that God was more powerful than the evil one. 
He had power over the serpent. He had power over sickness and death. He had power over the most significant political power of the day. And God has given us a clear sign that he has power over the serpent, that he has power over sickness and death, and that he, has, that he is more, uh, more power than any of the most significant powers of our day. God has given us a sign. And so one of the reasons why we may experience the disappointments that we experience is because, number one, life is hard. Because, number two, we forget that God has told us it's going to be hard. And then, number three, we forget the signs that God has given us to assure us that we will get through the hard things to the ultimate thing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'll ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read an extended passage here. In 1 Peter chapter 3, says this in verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It is better to suffer for doing good, that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, Jesus Christ, for the unrighteous, you and me, that he might bring us to God. What is God doing with the children of Israel? He is bringing them to the promised land. He has given them signs. Um, he has given them promises, and they're, but they're going to go through suffering. Jesus Christ, who himself suffered, verse 18, the righteous for the unrighteous, and he's doing it to bring us somewhere. He's bringing us to the promised land. He's bringing us, th- where will we find health, wealth, and prosperity as God, as we are ultimately brought by Jesus Christ to God? that he might bring us to God. That's one of my favorite little phrases in all of the Bible, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive where? In the spirit. Do you see that the promises that are made to us are spiritual promises? There is health and wealth and prosperity, spiritual health and wealth and prosperity now and for eternity. Those things are promised to us, and they come to us through Christ. So we're put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the people of Israel are experiencing chapter 5 right after chapter 4, and many of us come to Christ, in chap- like, like, uh, like is mentioned here in chapter 4, we are, uh, someone tells us the good news of Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins and put faith in him alone and then we kind of continue through life and we realize that, wait a second, life is still, life is still hard, but maybe I'm missing something. I'm, I'm hearing these promises that if I just had more faith that, I, that everything would be health, wealth, and prosperity and what the scriptures are saying is no, right now you still live in a broken world and things still will be difficult and God is going to use those things to make you more like Christ, but now and for eternity there will be health, wealth, and prosperity spiritually, and then ultimately there will be physical and spiritual health, wealth, and prosperity as we experience what, e- what Israel is going to experience, being brought into the promised land. That's just a picture of the spiritual reality. The, I say spiritual reality, but eternity is going to be both spiritual and physical. We will have 
glorified bodies in which we live as God's people in God's place, in God's presence for all of eternity. Why is life so disappointing right now? Well, because it's hard. And because we forget what God has already told us about life and because we forget the signs that God has already given us. So the response, our, the right response for us this morning is, is to, first of all, remember that life is hard. Secondly, to remember that God has told us that life would be hard. And then thirdly, and I would say most importantly, to remember the beautiful sign that God has given us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived, died, and was raised so that we have assurance that after this life is done, we too will be brought, like chapter 3, verse 18 of 1 Peter, that, that um, Christ would bring us to God, that we too would be brought to God. I ask you to bow your heads now and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the music team to come, and they'll come and we will sing a song here in a moment. And the song is an incredibly appropriate song. It's the right song for us to sing as we conclude this service this morning. We're going to sing the song, All I Have is Christ. And as you sing that this morning, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to make that